This morning, I want to remind us that over the last few weeks, as we've been studying that incredible book of Acts, we have seen God fulfill his promise to his people. Remember when Jesus was meeting with the disciples, he said, guys, I have to go away, but I'm not going to leave you comfortless because as I go, the Father is going to send the Spirit. And remember what he said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and when that Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the othermost parts of the world. We saw that group, those disciples standing there trying to comprehend what Jesus had just told them. And they remembered that he said, go to that upper room and wait. And last week, we, we reviewed that time where they were waiting and as they were seeking the, the onslaught, the, the arrival of the Holy Spirit. And when that happened, remember what we learned last week, that room was shaken and they were filled. And that group of people, that band of, of, of people that, that the world said probably couldn't do anything became a mighty army in the hands of God. As Peter was overcome and filled with the Holy Spirit, he walked out and he began to address that crowd that was gathered. And as he began to preach and as he shared the gospel, remember what we read, that 3,000 people came to know Christ in that one service. I want to pose this question to us this morning. If we today serve the same God that those early Christians served, and if the promise of the Holy Spirit was not just for them, but for us also, which by the way, let's just get it out of the way, it is the same God and that Holy Spirit is the same Holy Spirit that resides in us today. Why then... Do we not see the incredible acts and the miraculous things that God did through them? This week as I was doing some study, I went back and I, I looked at some things from our Southern Baptist Convention. In a report issued by the Southern Baptist Convention in 2012, it said one in four churches would baptize nobody in a year. 25% of our Southern Baptist churches in one year saw no one come to saving knowledge of Christ. In 2015, another report was issued. And in that report, it said in that year, 900 churches would close their door for the final time, not to be a vibrant place for the Lord. And 70% of, of those 900 churches were in thriving, vibrant areas. In a 2016 report, the Southern Baptist Convention reported that the ratio of baptisms to membership was 1 to 52. Simply put, it took 52 people one year to reach one person with the gospel. I don't know about you all, but as, I've, as we've been studying again under Dr. Boswell, this book of Acts, and as we've seen what the Holy Spirit did with them. My heart cries out and go, why not us? Why not us? And folks, I think the reason why not us is because spiritually, we've quit living. 
oh, we're alive. We go through the motions. We do the things that we think we're supposed to, but we let the things of day to day encroach on us. We let the trials and the tribulations come our way, and as they do, they begin to suck life out of us. We fail to keep that spiritual life vibrant. Our walk with our Lord and our Savior has been pushed aside, and as that happens, that spiritual life is just sucked out of us. I'm afraid as the world looks at us, And as they see us, they don't see the life that God promises us. This morning, for just a few minutes, I want us to look at this passage that Pastor Ryan just read out of Ezekiel. And in this passage, I believe that there are four things that we can see this morning that will help us turn our eyes back from where we are and live again. Folks, I don't know about you. But my heart longs to see what that church in Acts saw. My heart longs to see God move in a powerful and a miraculous way. My heart longs to see people coming to know Jesus as Savior and Lord, to be rescued from death, just as we just sang. Our vision needs to be challenged. So this morning, if you have your scripture, either a hard copy or on your phone or on your tablet, join me in Ezekiel chapter 37 as we look at God's call to us to live. Before we can live, we have to stop and evaluate our condition. The backdrop that that this writing takes place is Israel was in its third captivity. There had been the Assyrian captivity. There had been the first Babylonian captivity. And 10 years later came the second captivity of Babylon when when Nebuchadnezzar marched in and destroyed Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. And in that time, he took all but just a very few of the people from Israel, took them into captivity, and they were robbed of that joy. You see, these people had had a history of walking with God, when it got hard, they would reach out to him. They would beg for him to come and and take care of them. And as God would come in and he would minister to them and he would walk with them and he would reveal that he indeed was their God, they would enjoy it. But then they'd begin to take it for granted. They'd be going, okay, good. God is our God. God has done some miraculous things. Look what God's done for us. Yay, God. But now I've got to go do my life. Thank you, God, but now I've got to step back and I've got to get on doing my thing. And they begin to distance themselves. I don't think it was a conscious effort that said, okay, God, we know you're here and we're going to turn our backs on you. But it was kind of just like slowly, step by step, little by little, till one day they woke up and they were far away from God. It's against this backdrop that we find God speaking to Ezekiel. Ezekiel had probably been taken out in that first Babylonian captivity. And while he was in captivity, God called him out and said, you're going to be my man. While he was there in that area in a strange land, he said, Ezekiel, you are going to be sharing for me. So get ready. And God now is ready to proclaim 
a good news to him. Prior to this time, if you go back and read the first 36 chapters of Ezekiel, Ezekiel had been proclaiming a lot of punishment on the people of Israel. He'd been proclaiming God's judgment on them, but now God's ready to say, Ezekiel, I'm ready to do something new. Ezekiel, I'm ready to do something incredible. Get ready, share. As we look at the opening of this chapter, we see the condition. Read again the first couple of verses with me. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord, and he set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. I don't know about you all, but when I think of a valley, I think of a peaceful place. I think of the beauty that many of our guys are getting to see this week while they are serving in Montana. It's just incredible. And, and, and whitefish kind of sets in a valley, and it's just kind of a beautiful place. And in my mind, I see a valley being a place of rest, being a place of refreshment. If you're in the military, however, the last place you want to be is in a valley. If you're fighting a war, the last place you want to do is to find yourself in the valley because that gives your opponent the upper hand. They are able then to hem you in. They are able to fire on you and there's no place to go. I think this is what Ezekiel is seeing as God places him there. God places him there and notice what it says. He placed him in the middle of that valley. In that vision, Ezekiel is standing there, and he is surrounded by remains. Not fresh remains, but old, dry bones. I don't know about you, but I don't find that encouraging. To see all that destruction, the first word that comes to my mind is hopelessness. Ezekiel had been living and was living with these exiles and he heard from them daily, we've lost hope. And now he's set in the middle of this valley and he's reminded of how hopeless it is. Folks, you ever been at that place in your spiritual life? Have you ever been going along and then all of a sudden the weight of the world the weight of life comes upon you and as you look around you see there's no hope I'd like to say it gets better for Ezekiel before it gets better it gets worse notice not only did he have that sense of hopelessness but this whole picture screams defeat verse 2 and he led me around among them and behold there were very many on the surface of the valley and behold they were very dry Not only did God place him in the middle of that and let him take a look, the scripture here really is saying in the original language that God made him to walk in and around and through that. And if you know anything about the religious law, it was not good for a priest, a prophet, to be exposed to dead things. It was against their rules. But God threw him right in the middle of all this devastation and said, look, Look, open your eyes, see this. Even in those days, it was not good to leave dead bodies out. Even in war, many times, when an opposing army would come in and raid an area and and they would bring defeat, they would bury the bodies just, just because, but not this. 
They wanted to send a message. They wanted to send a message. We came. We destroyed. And if anybody else is thinking about messing with us, look at this. I'm afraid as we go through life, and as we deal with life, the devil loves to take us to the valley. He loves to get us in there, and he loves to show us those mistakes and those, those previous battles that maybe we lost. And he goes, look, I've defeated you. I'm going to continue to defeat you. There is no hope for you. I think sometimes as Christians, we swallow that lie. Because our relationship with the Father is so distant. Because we've not done those disciplines to keep it fresh. Because we are not enjoying that freshness with God each and every day. We begin to lose hope. We begin to sense defeat. And we begin to retreat. Notice what God asked Ezekiel. Son of man, can these bones live? I don't know about you all, but I would not have wanted to have been Ezekiel at that time. As I'm standing there and as I'm looking across this valley, and all I see is hopelessness, defeat, destruction, I'm afraid my heart would scream out, no, there's no hope. What do we say when we look out across our city? And we see people out there that have been swallowed up in defeat. What do we say when we see that person that has been chained by addictions? What do we say to those people who've lost all hope? As we stand there as Ezekiel and God says to us, O people of Emmanuel, Oh, church today, can these bones live? I think like Ezekiel, we have to step back and go, God, only you know. I don't think Ezekiel was taking the easy way out here. Because as he evaluated, as he saw what he saw in his own mind, in the human mind, he said, no, there's no way that these bones can live. They're done. They're done. But yet he had a faith in God. And because he had a faith in God, he was able to stand back and he goes, God, I don't know, but I know you know. Folks, God calls us to get that desperate. God calls us to look at our lives and see what's going on in them today. Sometimes he's got to bring us to the point that we are so dry and so hopeless that we say the only thing that can happen is God if you move. We have to evaluate our condition if we're going to live. Notice secondly, not only do we have to evaluate our condition, but we need to hear God's command. Notice what he says in verses 4 through 6 to Ezekiel. He said, Ezekiel, he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and I will cause flesh to come upon you and I will cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. 
and you shall know that I am the Lord. God gave an incredible command to Ezekiel. This command wasn't something that just popped into his head. This command was his plan. You see, God had a plan even before these bones became dry bones. God had a plan before Ezekiel was even on the scene. God had a plan, and he was now going to execute that plan. And he said, Ezekiel, I'm going to let you be a part of my plan. Folks, that's the good news today. God has an incredible plan. God has a plan of redemption. That's why in Acts 1-8 we see when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to receive power and you're going to go be my witnesses. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything that I've commanded you, and lo, I will be with you always. God has a plan. But sometimes we get so dry and so hopeless, we step back and go, I don't see it. I don't hear it, but God has a plan. Notice what else we hear in this command. Not only does God have a command, but God has a purpose. God is a God of purpose. He does nothing by accident. Let me repeat that. God does nothing by accident. Sometimes we find ourselves in these valleys and we go, how did I get here? Sometimes we see life circumstances and we go, we don't get a guy. Where are you? We have to step back and remind ourselves day in, day out, God has a plan and God has a purpose. Notice what God's purpose is. God's purpose is not to make me happy. God's purpose isn't necessarily to make you all happy. Here's God's purpose. And you shall know that I'm the Lord. You want to know something? When we come to the place where we really understand that he's Lord, you want to know what will happen? We're going to get happy. We're going to get excited. We're going to get charged up because it's all about him and he's Lord. I don't have to worry about tomorrow. I don't have to worry about next week because it's not in my control. And I don't know about you all, but that's a stinking hard lesson to learn. Because after all, anybody who knows me knows what? I have, anybody? I have control issues. I want to be in control. I want to be in control of my life. I want to know what's going to happen next. I want everything to be planned out. God says, guess what, big boy? I'm in control. I'm Lord. So get over it. Just get over it. When we can do that, it takes all the pressure off. It's not our plan. It's not our purpose. It's all about him. We've got to hear that command. 
But notice what else. As we hear that command, we understand God's plan and God's purpose. My second most favorite thing in the world, God's going to bring about change. Again, if you know me, next to my control issues are my problems with change. Go ahead and laugh. It's okay. I'm well aware of that. I am the epitome of the crock pot. Okay? I hang out with some microwave type leaders. It's, and we're done. I, on the other hand, like to hear. I like to evaluate. I like to think about. Then I want to evaluate. And then I want to look some more. You know how long it took me to ask Cheryl to marry me? Quite a while. Side note, Pastor Aaron a few weeks ago shared the most beautiful proposal that I've ever heard. I mean, you know, I was just going, yes. You know, it, it, it was just cool. My proposal, sitting in the front room of Cheryl's parents' house, one summer evening. So, um, suppose I was to ask you to marry me. What do you think you would say? <laughs> Being the wise woman she was and is, she goes, don't know, you have to ask me. <laughs> Wrong answer. You were supposed to take care of that. I hate change. But notice what? When God begins to work, change happens. Look at verses 7 through 10. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh came upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, and exceedingly great army. As we look at this, as God begins to bring about change, the first thing we see is God takes chaos and he brings order. God takes the impossible and makes it possible. Again, think of this. For years, these bones had sat in this valley that had been exposed to, to all kinds of weather, all kinds of wild animals, and no longer were these skeletons just laying there complete and in one piece. There was a big toe over there, a hand over there, a skull over there. They were scattered all over. And notice what Scripture says. As Ezekiel did what God commanded him to do, God began to bring change. God took that chaos and he brought order. As I was studying this week, most all the commentators agree that in the original language where it says, as I prophesied, there was that rattling and the bones came together bone to its bone, meant that Fred's big toe got hooked back up to Fred's foot. And Fred's foot got hooked back up to his leg. Fred's foot didn't get hooked up with Earl's foot. It went back to the original owner. God is such a God of order that in 
chaos. He brings it about. He brings about order. He did it intentionally. He had a plan. He restored them back to who they were. Picture this. The bones rattled. They began to shake. And all across that valley, bones began flying, rejoining their original frame. That in and of itself should have caused Ezekiel to go, whoa, man, that's enough for me. But notice what else? God took the inability and produced ability. In and of themselves, these bones laying there were not going to accomplish anything. These bones just laying there became full skeletons. But what's going to happen with full skeletons? Not much. God put them totally back together. To those bones, he began placing sinew. And what that literally is about is about that innermost, smallest connective tissues. God brought those together. Then it says he began to place um, skin on them or flesh on them. And what that literally is talking about is, is the muscles and the vascular system and everything that's inside underneath our flesh, our skin. God put that all back together. And once that was all back together, he covered it with skin. What just moments ago had been an impossibility, now there was possibility. Folks, sometimes when we look out at life, as we see everything that's out there in front of us, the chaos, the disorder, and then we look at ourselves and go, God, I can't do that. You want me to do what? You want me to join you in doing what? God, that, that, that's not me. God, God, I am unable. You know, I think when we get to that point, what God does is go, that's where I wanted you. I wanted you to get to the point where you realized that you were incapable of doing anything by yourself because I've got some other things in store. When you look at your circumstances and when you look around and you see all that's coming against you, don't worry. I got a plan. And I'm going to take you and you and you and all of us. And I'm going to do something incredible. We bring our inability so that God can supernaturally infuse us with his ability. It gets better, folks. It doesn't stop there. God takes death. And brings life. Notice verse 10, 9 and 10. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man. And say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath. Breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me. And the breath came into them. And they lived. And they stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. God's in the process of putting together an army. God wants to put so much life in us that as we come together individually and corporately, that we will stand 
And as the world sees the life that is in us, they'll know that God reigns. God wants to use us to push back the gates of hell. God wants to use us to proclaim the, the gospel. He wants to use us to set the captives free with his message, in his power, and in his strength. I'm afraid for a lot of us, the breath has been pushed out of us. We're gasping for spiritual air. What once was a fresh, vibrant relationship with the Father, we've allowed to become a little bit dormant. The breath is shallow, and the world doesn't see us as a mighty army. Folks, God didn't call us to come and sit in an auditorium. God didn't call us to come and just hang out. God called us to come, be equipped, and then be his messengers. And to take the message of life to a dead and dying world. God's message is dry bones can live. The captives can be set free. There's good news, there's hope, and it is up to us to go and proclaim that. But we've got to let God bring that change. God wants to do that. God will do that if we allow him to. It'd be real easy just to stop there. But the good news gets even better. In these last three verses, God tells Ezekiel, Ezekiel, I'm going to make a commitment to you that I want you to share to Israel. Not only am I going to bring them together, this is very prophetic, what God is saying here to the people of Israel. I know where you're at. I know what's going on in your life, and I'm going to bring you back together. And as I bring you back together, I'm going to infuse you with new life. And as I infuse you with new life, you're going to stand and you are going to be an army. And you're going to do incredible things. And we're going to keep going. Because the darkness can't hide the light, can it? By the way, that was not planned. Uh, <laughs> but notice what God says to Ezekiel. He makes a commitment. Notice verse 11 through 14. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost and we are indeed cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves. O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves. O my people, folks, God has a passion for us today. Did you know that? God passionately desires to work in your life. God passionately desires a relationship with you. 
just as he loved the people of Israel. And he said, Ezekiel, tell them, I have not forgotten you. I am still God. I'm still in control and I'm going to bring you back together and I'm going to raise you up and I'm going to place you back in that place that you rightfully belong to my honor and to my glory. Ezekiel, tell them that. Folks, God passionately pursues us. God desires to have that personal relationship with us. God could have left us broken and in shambles. But what does John 3.16 tell us? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever would believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God not only gives us everlasting life, but remember what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, He is brand new. He is a new creation. The old is gone. All things have become new. God said to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, tell him life's coming. Ezekiel, tell him I have not forgotten them. Ezekiel, tell them that I've heard their cry. I don't know about you all, but sometimes in your spiritual journey, have you ever got that place where you just totally felt cut off from God that maybe he wasn't listening anymore that he wasn't hearing your pleas just as he told Ezekiel tell Israel he tells us today I know where you're at I know what you're going through and I have a plan and I'm going to work it out and as you live And as I live through you, the world will know that I am God. God is passionate for us. That in and of itself should energize us and fuel us to do whatever God asks us to do. But notice this finally. In that commitment that God makes to his people, there comes this promise. And I will put my spirit within you. And you'll live. I'm going to put my spirit in you and you will live. It's not just talking about existing, folks. God is telling the people of Israel, as I breathe fresh on you, I put my spirit in you. You will live with power. You will live with strength. You will live to accomplish my purpose and my plan. And I will be glorified in and through you. You will live. I'll place you in your own land. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I have spoken. I can't get over this next part. I will do it. I will do it, declares the Lord. Jim Simbola is the pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle Church in New York City, in the area of Brooklyn. In his younger days, Pastor Jim was on a fast track in basketball. Although not being very tall, he had skills way beyond his years. He excelled at basketball through middle school, high school. He was on a fast track with a college scholarship and was making big strides and literally had aspirations of playing professional basketball. 
but it all came to halt through an injury. What he had planned for himself, what he saw as his future, bright and prosperous, now was nothing. In desperation and in response to his father-in-law, Jim said he went and began preaching at a little church in, in Brooklyn. And as he walked in, he said that first time, he saw a building in shambles. He saw old wood pews that when people sat on them, they began to kind of make noise. Like, if you sit here too long, I'm going to fall down. He said the floor sloped. And the reason he knew that is one day during the offering, somebody dropped some change and the change rolled all the way to the back. And as he ministered and as he struggled, it went from that glorious setting down where there was even less people coming. As he looked at that, he goes, I can't do it. I can't take it. I'm working. I'm striving. I'm doing everything I know to do. But it's failing. He took a little sabbatical because of his health. And while he was out, he fell on his face before God and he goes, God, I'm desperate. I'm dry. I'm about to die. And he said in that moment, God breathed fresh fire into his bones. God told him, Jim, I'm going to put my spirit in you afresh. I'm going to raise you up. And as you walk with me, I have a plan and I have a purpose. And I'm going to do incredible things in and through you in that city of dead bones. Pastor Jim went back and he began to make prayer. One of the most important things of his life. He led that church to begin meeting on Tuesday evenings for the sole purpose of prayer. God began to do some incredible things. And if you've you've done any reading, they've gone from that little broken down place where pews broke when people sat on to being a mighty army. Their ministry extends into the deepest and darkest parts of New York City. Their ministry is beginning to extend around the world. God has raised up an army to do incredible, exceedingly more abundant things than that man and that church could ever dream. Folks, God is not calling us to be Brooklyn Tabernacle. But God is calling us to experience a fresh touch from him. He's going, oh, Emmanuel. Will you breathe? Oh, Emmanuel, I want to put my spirit within you. As Christians, we have that in us, but are we releasing the spirit to do what he's there to do? Are we saying, God, whatever you want, do it. Just make me live. So where are you at today? 
What's your condition? As you said here this morning, is that, is that relationship with God hot and vibrant? Are you on fire? Are, are, are you making an impact, a difference in the world? As people see you, are they saying, whoa, there goes somebody that's alive. Or as they look at you, are they going, alive or dead? What's your condition? Will you allow God to bring change? Will you go, God, I'm desperate. Without you, I can't do a thing. But with you, all things are possible. Folks, it's time we quit being crockpots. And we allow God to bring change to us. It's time that we allow that fresh spirit to breathe within us. Are you ready to live? God had a plan from the beginning of time to redeem man back to himself. That plan was through his son, Jesus Christ, who went to the cross and paid the penalty for our sins so that we who were dead spiritually could live again. Because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, we can have life. Maybe you're here this morning and nobody's ever told you that good news that you can live. We're here to proclaim that to you today. In just a moment, we're going to have a time of response. To my right and to your left is our next step area. If you're here today and you've never experienced that new birth, if you've never experienced that new life, come over here. We have pastors and many of our lay people who would love to share that with you. We want to tell you how you can live today. But Christian, what about you? You know the way, only way that the world is going to hear God's story is if we begin to live. Maybe this morning you've been in that place in your spiritual life that you're as dry as these bones. Maybe this morning you just need to come to this altar and just fall on your face before the Father and say, God, forgive me for not keeping my relationship with you first and foremost. Whatever God asks you to do, our heart's desire and our prayer for you is that you will respond to his word today. Let's pray.